0: Hello and welcome to a special Outlook edition of A Fresh Take. In today's episode, we speak to three young women from several different parts of the asset management industry about what what the industry did well in 2021 and what they expect and would like to see in 2022. I'm Kathleen Gallagher, Features Editor at Investment Week, and I'm joined by Celia Fraser, Insight and Analytics Lead at Capital Group, Shemai Tadamakal, Diversity Project Ambassador and Executive Recruiter at Singtea Herd and Partners, and Rehab Paracha, part of the Sustainable Mulsia Asset Team at Rathbones. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, To start off, do you mind introducing yourselves? So Celia, if you want to kick us off.
1: Hi, I'm Celia Fraser. I work at Capital Group in their Insights and Analytics team.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Rahab, and I work as a sustainable multi-asset investment specialist at Rathbones within their funds business.
3: Hi everyone, uh, my name is Chin Mai and I currently work um, in executive search at St Heard and Partners,
0: specialising in financial services. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. So kind of mid-January, we've started 2022. Chin, do you want to start us off and what you think the industry's biggest achievement was last year?
3: Sure. Um, I mean, I feel like it's been a pretty good ride for asset managers. There was nothing really sort of seismic to worry about. So most asset managers made good money. Um, I would say it was almost like a bounce back and relief kind of year after sort of 2020. You know, 2020 was very much a fear of the unknown. Uh, From a talent perspective, there were people less willing to move. Um, You know, if you if you told people back in 2019 that we were gonna be interviewing over Zoom, then people would think it was pretty bizarre because there was a emphasis on meeting in person. But I think at the end of the day, you know, no matter how uncertain the industry is, talent is always required. Um, This meant that roles had changed. We'd had to adapt. But what we'd realized is that Zoom really worked. And in 2021, actually, we saw the benefit of that because the flexibility that Zoom had provided meant that asset managers now had a wider pool of talent to hire from. Um, I think there was definitely sort of a rapid growth in ESG funds. But most importantly, I think what was very, very impressive was you know, the industry's approach to DNI. Uh, we all know that DNI has been something that we've always spoken about, preached about, uh, but I think the transparency and the raw honesty that we had heard from some of our industry leaders had almost done a snowball effect, and we'd see some rapid change. You know, for years, I think the diversity aspect has always been there. We'd been always open to hiring diverse talent, but we neglected the I and DNI, and that was the inclusivity. So when we'd heard from You know people like Gavin Lewis at BlackRock, um, Justin Anukasi from Legal and General. um, You know their raw honesty on their experiences in the past. We saw a very powerful campaign called the I am movement. And what that led to was, you know, putting words into action. And we saw the 100 black interns program. Now we know that that did really well because it's now the, um, I think it's the 10,000 black interns. And we've rolled that across the industry and, you know, all the asset managers that had been involved were very positive about that. It was a very positive approach. And um, I think we'd seen some really good results from that. So I think that was very impressive.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Some some great points there. Celia, what about you? What was kind of top of mind for you for last year?
1: Yeah, I think DEI is something that's at the forefront. Capital groups on both, well, did the 100 Black interns and now we're doing the 10,000 Black interns, which I think is really exciting. And for me, as a Black woman, I think we often mask things under the term BAME, or we just talk about diversity as a whole and people immediately think gender. And I think actually Branching out into looking at some more of those demographics is fundamentally important, and so that's a a good thing for the industry. I think we adapted, just adapting to the changes. I think we then took on hybrid working. Um, The industry was obviously incredibly resilient. AUM went up across the board for for the industry, and I think COVID almost forced us to make changes that maybe we wouldn't have done otherwise. Chin spoke about, Zoom interviews, but also just being a bit more flexible, which in turn makes it more inclusive for people that maybe have caring responsibilities or disabilities, being able to work from home. Not all the time. I think there's definitely pros to getting people back into the office, but it's no longer that you have to be in five days a week unless there's some huge exemption. It's becoming the norm, I think, a bit more to have people doing that hybrid working model. So I think that was probably the biggest win. And then we can talk about things like ESG. Obviously, that's a huge responsibility for for the asset management industry. We can see there's various impacts that our behavior is having on the climate. And then you think about people prioritizing returns in their maybe their pension funds over what's best for the environment. All of that becomes the asset management industry is responsible. And so Article 6 funds becoming Article 8 or Article 9, whichever way we go about it, um, we've got to take responsibility as an industry to drive that change too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um Rahab, a great, a great kind of topic for you, kind of on the sustainability side. Is did you see it as a good year from that perspective? Or what did you think?
2: Yeah, definitely. And completely agree with what Celia was mentioning in terms of the asset management industry's role within uh, sustainability and the big part we have to play. I think the industry has been making some great strides over the last few years on this, but specifically in 2021, it really was able to recognize the part it's able to play in helping us move towards a more sustainable world. And that's through, you know, helping reduce the effects of climate change, but also helping to promote a more socially inclusive and diverse working environment. I think Initially, this was catalyzed somewhat by the pandemic in 2020, but then, of course, it was further promoted last year when we saw COP26 taking place in the UK, which really made it quite a pivotal year for the industry to finally realise that you know it does need to step up. And so, some of the things what we've already mentioned, you know, last year we saw record-breaking inflows into sustainable funds, an array of new fund launches. We also saw the industry really using its um, ability to drive change to establish new ways to help as well. And you know, we saw more firms signing up to things such as the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance, more firms reporting against the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, and lots of firms also signing up to net zero targets, which was really encouraging. And I think for me, one of actually the greatest achievements was on the um, collaborative engagement side in terms of sustainability. And one particular achievement which stands out to me is the investor coalition led by ShareAction, which secured a landmark climate commitments from HSBC to phase out financing of coal-fired power and thermal coal mining. But that's just one example of the numerous different ways um, engagement, especially collaborative engagement, has actually led to real change happening in companies, which I think is a really big positive.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's great to see the industry kind of working together behind some common goals to to drive change. Um, So I guess on that, sticking with you, if you don't mind, what would you like to see from the industry for the next year?
2: Yeah, sure. So it's actually kind of following on from the greatest achievement I would say. Of course, we've done a lot of great things on sustainability last year, but you know, we can always do more, um, and we can always do better. So, I would say the focus for this year in terms of sustainability for me should really now be on trying to make this all a little bit clearer for our clients um, and investors. I think what we're finding is consumers do need some more education in this space. You know, there's still a lot of jargon out there in the world of responsible investment. And so some clarity and maybe some sort of agreement from the industry on the different terms which we use would be really helpful. So investors can make more informed decisions before they you know, put their money in specific companies. You know, we hear a lot of different terms out there, such as sustainable, impact and thematic, and it can be quite confusing to know exactly what we mean. And um, so although, you know, it's been great that we, we've been seeing some new funds and more fund launches, I think if we turn our focus to that point of making it all a little bit clearer and education, that should really further help um, the cause on, of moving towards a more sustainable world.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think that's spot on. I mean, I personally still get really confused by all the different terms, like impact investing versus sustainable investing. Um, Chin, what about you? What what are you hoping for for the next year?
3: Um, I think personally, seeing the city vibrant again, um, I know I think a return to work, some some sort of normality. I think 2021 has been. A lot better than 2020 in terms of that but i think there's nothing matter you know nothing better than actually meeting with clients again um you know meeting people again and actually having those industry events again where you get to meet in person you know that real buzz that the city had before it'd be really nice to see that come back um i think what also would be good is i think we need to bring some agility into talent management it's very evident that the industry Has now changed. We are working in a hybrid model. So, in terms of communication, I think there needs to be sort of some change around that. Perhaps upskilling current talent that we do have. Uh, We're seeing a lot more different roles, and as opposed to sort of bringing in new people who might not know the culture as well, we've got a lot of existing talent that we need to retain. And by upskilling them, um, I think you're really having a very strong culture within the firm. Um, I, I don't know. I think consolidation of esg funds but um that that's
0: that's what i would say definitely yeah be we all hope for a little bit more normality for the year really don't we um celia what about you
1: I think leveraging the power of technology and analytics. Mm -hmm. I think you can't afford not to be data literate anymore in asset management. And people automatically think to maybe how you build portfolios and funds, but actually there's analytics everywhere. Whether it's customer and client behaviour, whether it's in your marketing, whether it's in how you make sure you've got the right products for your clients. I think we're still doing, we're we're moving in the right direction. But I think in terms of utilizing what's out there now. If you think about machine learning and AI, there's so much in that space, but it could almost be Going back and starting the journey, I think a lot of people make decisions based on what they think they know. Mm -hmm. And then you spin up quite a simple report and actually it's very different to what they thought was happening. So I think there's a whole spectrum of analytics that can be performed. And no matter where you are, I think you've got to be, if you're not starting now, you're probably a bit behind, but there's obviously room for that exponential ability to upskill both the associates that you already have, but then in the market again to Chin's point, making sure the talent out there, you've got people coming out with engineering or computer science backgrounds, but also people that maybe study pure finance or accounting that you think more number crunching, but even now they're already in, they're coding, they're using R, they're using Python. I think that skill set, you having the industry utilize the ability there to just, we can now go through billions of rows of data, whereas before that just wasn't possible. So I think that's also something that the industry um should should be looking to drive through in in 2022.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you can kind of see how some of our or all of this kind of intertwines because more data and the ability to go through data that will help ESG and kind of define all those different elements that we've talked about. um, Definitely. I think
1: if you think about all the data points that are out there on ESG, I think people often mistake data for information. We have a wealth of data, but what do we actually do with it? Are we being able to mine it effectively so we can then draw out those insights, whether it's internally or for clients or for stakeholders. Um, Data then ties into DE&I as well. I think over in the US where it's mandated that we have to collect it, actually in the UK, we're still quite far behind. Um, A lot of asset managers haven't even begun the journey to collecting any kind of data. And so when we're it's almost a bit hypocritical if we're then speaking to people about what their data looks like when we don't know internally. Um, and actually, Capital Group has made great strides again there to start collecting that information, reporting on it, because I think um, it's important. It's equally important internally, as well as what our stakeholders, our investors, um, who we invest with, what their what their kind of spread of diversity looks like.
3: Mm-hmm. so just to add on to that actually um um from a from a talent perspective i think we are moving in the right direction obviously like we've spoken about with the um 1000 black interns etc and there's always been a big push on gender but i think you know a group that's often been neglected uh but i can see that there has been a real push this year but hopefully um sorry last year but this year we can see more of as returners to work um i think you know especially women returners who've already been working in the firm, they have such a broad, you know, wealth of knowledge that we often neglect. Um, and often because of that, and because of sort of the um, culture that some firms have in returners to work, you know, they often look for fresh talent as opposed to reinvesting in the women that have worked there previously, we miss out on that talent. And actually, these women are incredibly, incredibly resilient. They're very determined. And I think one thing that we see is they're very, very loyal. So when you do invest in talent like that, I think you'll you'll get a huge return. So hopefully, I think there are a lot of firms who are implementing a returners to work program. So it would be really great to see a lot more asset managers participating in that.
1: And I think that's where hybrid working as well has an advantage because before, maybe if that person wasn't in the office five days a week doing the nine till five or whatever, it was typically much longer in, in asset management. But whatever that standard day looks like, it would be immediately noticeable. Now, if you've got people in the office three days, working flexi hours, suddenly it's a lot more easy. It's easier for people, whether it's women returning to work or those with caring responsibilities, whatever that may be. Um, I think, again, that's one of the huge pros of hybrid working. And again, I said it took us a while to get here, but actually COVID kind of kicked us a bit further um, forward. And
0: I think that that's only a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Some great points there, and it is, you know, I've seen kind of um, a few of my friends that are kind of coming back to work now, and um, they are finding it like not as challenging because of that hybrid model lends itself to to kind of still taking care of children. Um, so kind of moving more onto markets, have what do you kind of think uh, might be one of the biggest impacts to the markets this year?
2: Sure. So I think it's pretty impossible to start this conversation without discussing central bank policy and inflation, which has, of course, kind of dominated the, the market so far this year in the first few weeks. We've definitely seen that having a big impact. Um, but one thing that I wanted to talk about, which I think will be quite interesting for 2022 and is something maybe investors should be thinking about is, you know, what does the new normal look like kind of post-COVID? And we spoke a little bit about it in terms of, you know, we, we would all really like to see a bit more normality in our day-to-day lives. But this is also going to probably have quite a big impact on companies and how they're performing and so in turn have a big impact on markets as well. Um in terms of, you know, the new normal, I think everyone has very different opinions on what that might be, but there's, as a team, we've been discussing a lot of this and different questions such as, you know, will testing be here to stay for travel? You know, will we continue to work from home as we spoke about, or will people want to go back into the office and socialise? You know, is our renewed emphasis on health and wellbeing here to stay? Um, And then, of course, there's all the trends that the pandemic seems to have accelerated, for example, towards um, digital and interacting socially in new ways. You know, we've seen Facebook rebrand itself to Meta, which is and, you know, there's been a lot of conversations around that. And, you know, what does socializing look like in the future? And these are all questions as investors. I think, you know, we should be asking ourselves because the ending of the pandemic, if we can say that in the sense of restrictions ending and, you know, People abiding by those restrictions will really change the way we live our lives. And these new consumer habits will therefore have a long-term um, you know, effect on which companies do well. You know, as a team, we've been speaking about, you know, companies such as Prep, for example, you know, they have all their coffee branches in the city. If we do see work from home here to stay. You know, how will their business model need to change? And it's just little things like that that we've been discussing to understand, you know, out of the companies we hold, are there any areas that could get affected by this kind of new normal of COVID?
1: I think yeah. that's completely relevant. The city, obviously, the, it relies on footfall. A lot of the the companies rely on people being in the city. And whilst it might be good for the people that can work from home to have that flexibility, say that average is out at about 60%, that's a 40% loss for the companies that are relying on having people in the city. So I think, seeing how COVID pans out, I mean, we're still, we're still in it and nobody's quite sure what, yeah. what, where we're going to go next. And I think the other thing is obviously Brexit, which we've not spoken about yet. Um, we've seen the supply chain issues that have been hit. I think we've seen companies going under. There's the energy crisis at the moment where obviously that's the bills are skyrocketing. What do we do there? When does the government perhaps intervene? I think those are a couple, um, and then as well as we, as we spoke about digitization, I think people being able to connect remotely and virtually, or marketing online, things like that, instead of in-person events, all of those I think are things that we want to watch in 2022.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of kind of building on that, I think you know you mentioned the MCD um, mentioned the supply chain issues. I think what's quite interesting is you know, the ways different countries have been approaching COVID now. And it seems to be, you know, at the start, everyone was quite bought bought in on lockdowns. And I think, you know, there's been a bit of divergence there. So, um, you know, for example, China seems to still be pursuing more of a zero COVID policy, which, of course, if they continue to lock down whole provinces after a handful of cases, that could lead to further supply chain issues. And also China is you know, a big driver of global growth. So if they continue down this path, we could actually see that having an impact on the growth side as well. So I think it'll be interesting this year to see, you know, do countries kind of change the way they've been approaching this in terms of strategy? Um, and, you know, which areas kind of globally will will benefit and which may not
0: yeah, it is interesting to kind of, I think we are seeing that increasing divergence, aren't we? We're kind of the the UK, particularly England, and then the US have kind of just gone forward. We're going to move on. And and then China and some of the other countries are still kind of going with the lockdown method. So it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Chin, do you think anything else in particular might impact the markets or the industry in general? I think they've
3: both hit the nail on the head. Definitely the industry experts have so.
0: Brilliant. Well, kind of more from a recruitment perspective than um, what for young people considering a career in asset management, we've talked a lot about a lot of interesting aspects of it. Um, hybrid working, diversity and inclusion, ESG. Um, what's one tip you would give to people considering a career? Sure.
3: Um, I think to be brutally honest, uh, listen, it's it's an industry where there's a lot of regulations and it's, you know, it, it's a role where the industry is also quite tight knit. So if you do a good job, you, you're going to be known for doing a pretty good job. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're managing other people's money. So there is a lot of scrutiny there as well. And I think it's really important for young people to be aware of that. Um, it, it's a very rewarding career, but if you are, not someone with resilience, determination. You know, you need to show up. You need to put in the time. You need to go out there and seek mentors and take initiative. Um, and if that's if that's something that is appealing to you, then you're going to do great and you're going to have a very excellent reputation in the market. Otherwise, um, then it may not be the career for you. But one thing that I think is so fantastic about this industry is the culture. Um, And I say this because I once did also consider, um, you know, a career in asset management. And I think, you know, people's willingness to give you the time of day is amazing. You know, I've reached out to a lot of people in the industry, very senior leaders. And, you know, I was very, very surprised at how much time they had to give to me to speak about their role, what it consists of. Asset management is a very broad term. There's so many different roles. There's distribution, there's product specialists, there's fund managers, there's also marketing in asset management. So when when people say, I want to do asset management, really understand what it is in asset management that you want to do. Um, There's so many fantastic you know, resources out there. The skills workshop led by Rachel Green at Naveen is a fantastic resource. She's done such a great job of setting up webinars with so many um, different firms so that people can have an understanding of the industry, what kind of roles are out there. So have a look at that. Do not be afraid to pick up the phone, build your presence on LinkedIn, and most importantly, ask questions uh, because the culture is, is, is really fantastic and people are always willing to help.
1: Yeah, I think what you were saying there, especially because people often think asset management and they purely think about managing the money, whereas actually the breadth of the roles in the industry is huge. So if you think about how many people in these global firms actually manage money, it's a fraction. Then you've got legal, you've got compliance, you've got marketing, you've got sales, you've got product. I mean, the list is endless. And I think people often think you need to jump straight out of finance and then into asset management as I mentioned before, you've got people coming from computer science, you've got people coming from design, the legal aspect of things. I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is that you can come into the industry and then you can kind of move around. Like You don't have to be pigeonholed into one area. Of course, you get the people that only ever want to come in to manage the money. But actually, I think in terms of the growth and the breadth of the industry, I think that's probably one of the most exciting things for a young person thinking about asset management, like really think about what you want to do. Because I think especially with different skill sets. Some people think, oh, I must have to be able to crunch the numbers. You might be brilliant in design. Get them in front of the web design team, things like that, events that happen in the industry all the time. I think that's what I, just to to elaborate on Chin's point, I think there's so many different roles out there. People don't necessarily consider it when they hear asset management. They just think money management. It's not like that.
2: Yeah. I think building on that, I completely agree with both of you guys. I think when I actually joined the asset management graduate program at HSBC asset management, one of the great things was, is that it was rotational. So we got to do four rotations around the business. So, you know, I spent six months in sales, six months in product, six months in risk, and then also six months in investment. And what I found was very similar to what um, both the other women on the podcast have been saying is that a lot of people would always tell me you know, of course, you're going to end up being a fund manager. That was the route that was kind of put into my head at quite a young age um, when I joined the the graduate program initially. But really through that program, I was able to figure out actually what area do I want to be in. And so initially, you know, I ended up in product and now I do have more of an investment focused role. But that was something that I was able to figure out throughout time. So I think I definitely agree, you know, don't let yourself be pigeonholed and really explore all the different options you have, because there are a lot of different options out there.
3: And I also think it's having that openness to learn, like you said, and being open to that change, because I think there's a lot of pressure on young people where they, you know, they think, right, so I'm I'm entering the industry, I have to be a fund manager, you know, or I have to do this. And it's, it's like, no, don't, like you said, don't pigeonhole yourself. You have to go where your strengths are, because ultimately, don't go for the name and don't do it, you know, out of like an ego thing when you want to do a particular role because you think it's going to sound nice. Do it because that's where your strengths lie and that's what you enjoy doing and the name and the reputation and everything else will follow from that when you do something you're very passionate about and something that you're very good at.
2: Yeah. And just kind of on that, I think probably um, Chin and Celia might be able to speak um, a little bit about what is available. Maybe perhaps more than me. But one of the other tips I was going to say is get experience if you can. So you know, I understand completely that it's quite difficult for young people to get experience in the industry before they start. So for example, when you're at university, if you're at university, um, but you know the spring weeks, the summer internships, and I think they're really valuable because. Although you you know you could be considering the Korean asset management seeing something written down and actually experiencing it. and as she was saying, the culture, you know you really need to know whether it's a good fit. Um, and you know there are a lot of programs out there for people who might be of minority backgrounds, whether that's you know gender, race, but also those from low income households who perhaps don't have the support that other people might have or might need support on their applications or their interview skills. So I'd really encourage people to to kind of seek those out um, because they're, they're out there. And I found some of those quite useful. You know, I I wasn't from London. I, I'm i from a town up north. So that was also kind of a barrier I initially had is trying to figure out and navigate kind of coming to London um, and, all, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, there, there are um, ways that the industry can help you do that and really help you get that experience, because I think it is really great to get it.
1: I couldn't agree more, I think. And maybe it's something we could have spoken about earlier in terms of what we want to see from the industry. We've looked a lot maybe inwards, but in terms of our responsibility for the, to the communities in which we operate in, um, I think 10,000 Black interns is just one example. But in terms of making our industry more accessible from those that don't just typically roll through easily? Maybe maybe certain routes into the industry are well-known, but others completely less so. We recruit, obviously, it's quite London-centric, but are we going out to different universities, not just the Russell groups, but other people, people that might not have come through university at all, but would be very additive to have in an asset management company? I think one of the things that we should talk about or should get involved in is the various charity work that gets done out there, how we reach other communities. I mean, the asset management industry is is cash rich. It's it's a a wealthy industry. And actually, a lot of companies need financial backing. We've just gone through a pandemic. Charities falling by the wayside, doing really important work, whether, again, it's women or ethnicity, LGBTQ plus disability, all of that stuff. I think, again, making sure the asset management is thinking beyond its kind of insular, inward-looking focus. And it's something that I try and do a lot of work with. I work with charities. I'm supported by Cabell's group through the work um, by being an associate. They have various kind of grant schemes, which I think in terms of what I find most rewarding, obviously I love my job, but being able to make a difference and show people, again, what we spoke about, the breadth of roles available, because people – not everyone has a LinkedIn. You speak to some, they've never been on it. And I think in terms of learning, where do you start if you don't really know kind of what's expected? So Rahab, to your point, just making sure we, we, we branch out and people can then find it easier to have, have learning
0: opportunities because
1: it, it's not as straightforward for some people as it is for others.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Chin, does anything kind of spring to mind about um, resources that maybe young people can think of?
3: Um, sure. I mean, I've, there's an endless list. And that's the thing. There's an endless list, but a lot of people don't know about it. So I really do hope this podcast reaches a lot of people because, you know, you've got the skills workshop, like I mentioned before, run by Rachel Green, um, who's spoken with various asset managers on what kind of roles they hire, what they look for when hiring. Um, you know, a lot of people think, I've not done any experience, I've not done internships. How will I enter the industry? Well, Think about your transferable skills. You may have worked in a retail job, but a retail job is very hard and it requires a lot of resilience, a lot of patience. Um, and you know, if you can demonstrate that in your current role, then you'll be absolutely fine. There's. Um, I can also think of investment 2020. What a fantastic resource. So this is for apprenticeships. Um, I think a common um, belief is that you have had to gone to university to enter the asset management industry. And I think um, sort of with ESG and everything going on, there has been a rise in apprenticeships as well with a lot of firms. So you don't, have to have gone to university, apply because there's so many asset managers that are now recruiting for apprenticeships. You do not need any prior experience. You just need to show that you are determined and willing to learn There's SEO London, there is Migrant Leaders as well. So that's a charity um, that I'm on the board for. And what that is, is basically for people that come from a disadvantaged background or first generation students, um, and and it will link you up with mentors. So, you know, one of the problems is that we actually, some people actually have no idea what the industry does. They don't know where to begin. They don't know where the applications are. We think, you know, we may be lucky enough to know these things, but some people don't. And what this does is provides them with mentors who can then guide them, you know, be very consultative and, you know, analyze that person and think, actually I really see you in a product specialist role or actually you've got such fantastic people skills. I think you'd be great in a distribution role. And sometimes what we really need is that guidance. The last thing that I would say, and I will keep going on about this, is please build your presence on LinkedIn. It's literally free. Um, and it's you have access to all these fantastic people in the industry. And all you need to do is one message. And what's the worst that could happen? They may not reply because they're busy, but that's all that, that will be. And if you message people enough, not pestering them, but you know, out of general curiosity, then there will be someone out there that is willing to help. Um, so that is the advice that I would give.
0: That's brilliant. A lot of great resources there and some kind of easy, actionable ones, just like building a LinkedIn profile. Um, well, I think that's been a really interesting discussion, a lovely kind of way to end. Um, we've kind of gone internally on what the industry can do and outward, more focused. Um, so thank you guys all so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. Thank you.